Hey, everybody, before we get started on this episode of RIYL, I wanted to thank our sponsors, Warby Parker. Uh, they've got the Home Try-On program. You can order five pairs of glasses and have them shipped directly to you for free. You can try all the frames on, get a feel for them, have people look at you. You can look at yourself, take pictures, anything you could ever possibly want to do in a new pair of glasses. That's five pairs for five days, and you'll, you can uh, mail them back to Warby Parker in a prepaid package. And if you use the, uh, the offer code RIYL, you will be able to receive your glasses glasses within three days so do that helps us helps the show helps you look cooler ruby parker r-i-y-l together at last You know, we're, we're sitting in um, El Quixote, which is the restaurant of the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. So at one point, like, you know, Leonard Cohen's eating here, Iggy Pop, like, sure. you know, all the music people, all yeah. the movie people. This was like a velvet rope place in the 70s, like Pacino and these types of people would come here. And now it has this sort of faded glory, which I love about Manhattan, because it's like the taxi driver Manhattan. Kojak Manhattan, you know what I mean? Yeah. French Connection Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. The, se- the 70s, the, uh, the disappearing 70s. I get that. I mean, that guy is, if anything, that guy at the end of the bar is, is 100% a relic from, from yeah, that era. Yeah, he looks like he could have been in James Gang or something. Yeah. Or the, he, <laughs> he looks does. like Joe Walsh. Actually. He does have a Joe Walsh-like call. <laughs> he could have been in the Eagles at one point. And it, it's almost as if they uh, they hired him like, like, to, oh, as, be, as an extra. He's like a, yeah, that'd be funny. Because he was actually, and I, I, I can't That would tell, be hilarious. Like I can't tell if it's if he's actually a little bit crazy because he was standing Probably. outside before and kind of telling people to come inside. Oh yeah, he might Maybe be the eccentric work here, owner. Actually. Maybe he could be. Oh, he's not the owner. I know the owner. Okay. He's, he's not. Yeah, he's like a normal old Spanish guy. He's walking around somewhere. Yeah, but but I mean, it's you know, it's yeah, it's it seems a, to be kind of faded though in in, in the sense yeah. that you know I don't I don't expect you know Bob Dylan to come in at any no the f- any I time. mean the food's great I like this place this yeah. is like you know when people always ask about like your favorite New York restaurants yeah. you always give them the second tier this is actually first tier in my mind it's not the best food but it's the ambiance is so nice that it feels yeah. like a time warp it's like this feels like 1972 when you walk in here. I've like I've we're going to go to studio 60 or to the studio 56 next or yeah, 54 54 yeah no I've, I I I I've had this is this feels like the kind of place. I mean, it, it's on the main drag though, so it's not hidden away. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah I, I had an experience. Um, it's like not a, flashy; it's easy to miss. I think. Yeah, and that, I think that's the key because I had an experience a couple months ago when I was walking around um, the West Village and just stumbled into this little pizzeria with a bar, and everybody in there was over the age of eighty. Was it Arturo's on Houston Street? It wasn't actually on house, and it was kind of off house, and it was hidden away. There is an old place that's been there forever yeah. called Arturo's that has amazing pizza. It's on Houston and Thompson. It's got a bar. It's got a bar inside. Yeah, it's a bar. it might like, have been it. A little, little, did they have a there, jazz band? There was playing? a jazz band playing. Yeah, yeah that's that that's it. Arturo's. Yeah, they have great pizza. No, yeah, I feel like, we're, like we need endorsements for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're, 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 I'm working. I mean, so far it's just. Uh, well, can I tell you something about Arturo's? Okay. Yeah, since yeah, yeah, we're absolutely. on the subject. So um, when I was in high school, I was in a band, yeah. like a three-piece band, and I, I walk into Arturo's. I go in there once in a while. I know one of the guys that works there, right? So I go see him. Up comes the guy who was the drummer in the band I was in yeah. in high school in Bowling Green, Ohio, the middle of nowhere, and he always had ambitions to be a jazz player, so, but he was in this kind of punk goth band that we had, <laughs> and he's now 
here. He's 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 playing. He does all kinds of stuff, and you know he plays in a couple different bands. He plays Smalls, which is one of the great yeah. jazz clubs yeah. over on Barrack Street. Uh, he's played Zinc, which is another like classic jazz bar here, and so that was like just an amazing, yeah, crazy experience. It's it's a strange, uh, uh, you know. God God bless him, but it's a, it's a it's sort of a weird thing to have ambition and is 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 a jazz band because it, it you know it, it, how high up can you go with that i guess is the question you know how yeah, I far mean, can you take that dream that's a that's a good question i mean i think that i know pl- plenty of sessions players I, I love jazz i go i love to go see it and sure you know um i know there, there are some bands who are doing pretty or groups ensembles and are doing fairly yeah. well there's a cartoonist named uh dave chisholm who's now in um rochester and he has I believe is a quintet, and he also has a um, he has a huge orchestra called Colossus because he's like into a, like comic a big books. Band. It's like a seventeen, nineteen piece band, wow. but yeah. they're more along the lines of like um, fireworks in the sky, okay, or explosions dirty three. Like sorry, explosions yeah, yeah. in the sky. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah, like a kind of an ambient sort of. Or what was it, the Rachels? Remember the? I don't remember the, the Rachels. The, the Rachels. Yeah. It's we're going back a ways, but it that. that Instrumental kind yeah. of uh, post rock, yeah, post yeah. Yeah, 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 like a band like Tortoise or yeah. um, Rome, yeah. like all those those different bands from Chicago. Yeah. That this big kind of sure kind of mathy. Well, stuff, um, so. yeah, uh, um, can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Uh, uh, Pruitt, Ar- Archer Pruitt, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, C and Cake wasn't that yeah, his band? Yeah, yeah. So they were great. I guess there's a lot of cartoonist uh, overlap with, yeah, uh, yeah. with math rock. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, so what, what happened? What happened with music for you? Are you? Are you? Do you do it ever? Still? Uh, yeah, you, yeah. You I, re- yeah. I recorded. Um, I got it, got together. In fact, one of my friends, uh, uh, Ben Rubin, is his name. He plays uh, with a group who, who play a lot in the city called Dred Scott Trio. Oh sure, yeah. You know, you probably seen uh, them. Jeff's. Yeah, Jeff's Jeff, good for yeah. us. Yeah. Um, we got a small group together and recorded uh, five tracks for the short film I shot for Tribeca. Okay. And that was you know because I'm really into Roland Howard from the Birthday Party yeah. and a lot of that. You yeah. know, Neubauten and a lot of that kind of like Berliny, okay, like big, uh, big kraut rocky, kraut, kraut rock, yeah. and like the like when the Australians invented punk rock for themselves, like a lot of that big chimey, yeah, Nick, you know, Nick super yeah. Nick Cave, like big reverby sound. Yeah. So we recorded uh, five tracks at a place in Williamsburg called the Bunker, uh, a three piece, and um, we used it in the soundtrack. So we ba- basically it was the soundtrack for the short film, yeah. the kind of sci-fi western that I did. Do, do you, um, you know, how how often do you actually get get out and, and play though, or is this the sort of thing that you come back to every so often? I, it's meditative, so I do yeah. it at home, and um, I I want to record again, but I mean now with B- Battling Boy and then the upcoming tour and you know all this this type, it just there's no time. Like I play at yeah. home for myself, but that's about it really. Guitar? Or? Yeah, guitar. Uh, what, what, I'm kind of curious about what you know meditative guitar playing is like for you. You just you just sort of zone out and yeah, you can you can zone out. You um, it, it, there's a level of um, craft and skill required, you know, to like really yeah. play scales and you sure. know this kind of stuff. And uh, it's uh, you know in a way kind of therapeutic, you know, because it's like relaxing and you're you're still doing something creative. And you're yet not just not strumming though. You're doing sound yeah, like no, it's not like kumbaya. Working. Like yeah, yeah, okay. yeah you know. But I, I always liked that notion. They, they said uh, when Churchill was, you know, kind of like handling the uh, the Blitzkrieg of Britain, yeah. he would still take time out from, you know, the war cabinet to go and paint or go yeah. and garden. And I, I like to cook as well. So it's it's interesting to like, you know, like today I made a lentil soup for my girl. And, it, you know, just like have a, a creative endeavor that's not 
comics or illustration. You know what I mean? So I, it's, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and where, where does where does film fall in that? What? That, I have a friend who um, I, I used to be affiliated with this group called Live Hard. It was a group called. Um, well, Live Hard was a, an adjunct of a advertising event company called Happy Corp. I'm sure you probably know sure, these guys. Sure. Kind of legendary, like yeah. in the aughts. There, you know, these they were a really good party back then too. They, yeah, they did. So we, we did events for that. And um, when that company split, uh, the owners uh, Doug and Matt, uh, Doug Yeager started a company with his wife um, Yeager Sloan, and they have a, a little uh, boutique down on Clinton Street. Lower East Side, which you can actually go into, and they sell stuff. But they shoot videos and make commercials, and I've worked with them on something for Squarespace, who designed my website. Yeah. Uh, we shot a; it was pretty great. We got a um, product placement for the Slipper Room. I, I got those guys hired for like a, a rental for the night, um, and now they're actually using the voiceover that we did for the commercial um, on uh, Pandora and Spotify. So when you hear those annoying things yeah. that break up, you're, yeah, 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 yeah. you're trying yeah, to listen to your Art, yeah. Art Blakely trio or something, yeah. and you get the commercial. <laughs> Coming soon to a podcast near you. It may be your voice. And my, yeah, it could be. <laughs> and then the other guy, uh, yeah. Matt Spangler, he now is working with Tribeca Films, and um, they've been expanding into trying to develop um, new short material, original short material. And we had a couple of scripts in, like uh, my friend Matt. For the, for the festival? Um, I don't. I'm not certain. It's definitely going to be playing in in the, the festival circuit. I don't know if it's going to make it this year or next okay. year. But um, I had a, a script in that they liked a lot. That was a, a, a sort of a science fiction western. One of my THB short stories. Not it's not THB my yeah. science fiction thing. But it's a kind of an offshoot. Sure. Kind of a Leone, Yodorowsky type thing and. They liked it, and we, we got funding through Sony to shoot a 12-minute... It was originally 17. We had to cut it down to 12. Um, so we, sh- we shot a science fiction film uh, that I co-directed with uh, Sridhar Reddy, uh, an American um, uh, Indian director who's shot uh, two features, and he has a third feature coming out next year. Shot a number of pilots for TV shows and music videos. And so. how, how, do you, how do you make a science fiction western in 12 minutes? It's um, it's not about the murder. It's about the gun. You're gonna have to you're you gonna know. have to break that down a little bit. Well, it's a, uh, it has that like kind of um, Aristotelian three act structure where it's one event, one scene, okay. one time frame. It's um, a story about two guys who kind of meet each other in a wasteland in the course of the night. They have to survive the night because yeah. the older of the two guys is being hounded by these seven kind of like Bigfoot intelligent creatures that are trying to kill him and the younger guys uh, is this all backstory we're going to get watching this no, I mean it's all there I mean like yeah. um, one of the I think one of the most apt things I've heard in response to seeing it is it feels like a cross between like original series Star Trek and the first Star Wars or like episode 5 like the, the desert stuff okay so it's I mean we have you know there's special effects we had seven yeah. monster costumes uh, it's you know um, 5.1 surround sound. Uh, we shot it on uh, the F65, which is like the competitor for the Red Epic, and uh, it was a real you know it was a learning experience. Literally the week I turned in Battling Boy One, within days I got a green light on this film for Sony, and we you know two days later I'm in Hollywood 
literally staying at the Roosevelt Hotel doing castings and then two days after that we were out in Lancaster you know Parkdale kind of like you know meth capital of yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, the high high Sierra you know yeah. we're out and we got the, the trailer you know, land trailer it's trailer yeah. it's scary in a way yeah. but pretty weird but you know we got the the drill like okay watch out for the scorpions and the rattlesnakes and luckily it was a little cold enough but this is the real deal i mean you went out real, for casting man that's a real for real yeah, this, yeah. We, we did everything you know this with, isn't just five guys in the backyard no it wasn't like let's go make them like andy rooney and yeah you know judy garland let's go make a film you <laughs> yeah. know it's like no we you yeah. know we everybody called in every single favor and i'm always i i i wonder like you know these these movies you know 12 minute movies where clearly there's a lot of money changing hands to actually make this thing um, again not to not to hammer the point of Endgame home too much but you know what's the wh- what are they shooting for I mean you know you get you, you get a 12 minute film it, it, it makes it around the festival circuit what's the life beyond that it's two things well I should mention by the way the, the film is called 7 by 6 by 2 okay so it's 7 monsters there's a gun so it's 6 bullets and 2 men so it's kind of and I like that sort of the Godard film you know yeah. the um uh, the, the, the one plus one, the, uh, the yeah. Rolling Stones film. So I wanted a title that was very graphic yeah. and didn't really mean anything, and it's kind of confusing to people, but it's also kind of cool. So it had two functions. On the the one hand, uh, Sony has this. At the time, we had a the pro, we had one of four prototype cameras. Mm-hmm. This this is uh, November December two thousand twelve. So it's almost a year ago at this point. But so they wanted to shoot four different films short films which could demonstrate the abilities of the camera ah. and it has basically like a, a Hubble space lens or space telescope lens where it can shoot in the dark and they like my script because it's literally shot by moonlight and that was one of the most inter- interesting things was being in Culver City on the Sony lot doing lighting tests in the dark and then there's a candle then it's a little bit of reflection off a spoon and all these things and that, that was for me it was again like the Churchill thing where it's like yeah. but you're out there and they're literally testing the limits of this camera around the shoot we yeah we had, we had um, I think the entire production on the film was I would say about a month and a half maybe a little more with editing but uh, we worked with a, a team called Native Productions out of LA and um, a company called Final Cut uh, were the um, the editors uh, and then I got I got this like three piece together to do the sound. So what do you so so you know it's it, it's based on your comic. You're doing the soundtrack. Uh, what other ways are you involved in this? Uh, well, I wrote the story. You wrote the story. Yeah. I co-directed it with Sridhar. Um, and then in my case, it's you know I don't have like great. I know a lot of cartoonists have aspirations to direct movies. And yeah, I mean, it, in a way, it's it, it makes sense as a leap, right? I mean, you're it, they're, they're kind of cousin cousin ma- uh, media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it, and it, it was an inter- interesting challenge to work in a like a, a you know I, I think our our cast and crew all told was probably around three hundred people. Wow. Uh, whereas Battling Boy, I, was, I had just come off literally an intense like, especially right before shooting seven by six by two. The 12 months before that was pretty much me in a room with yeah. the door locked, yeah. pot of coffee, and then, you know, every couple of days I get a frantic, you know, email or phone call from my editor. Yeah. So when the chance came to, you know, shoot a film, it's like, yeah. And I, I believed in the script. It's not a cynical script. It, it's, you know, it's a genuine Western that it has an interesting, even though it's a short film, it has a storyline. And then in terms of um, 
Tribeca, I know that, like, without kind of dishing any secrets, they, they have a plan to make more short films kind of set in a Western yeah. Uh, milieu. Yeah. So um, my, my producer, uh, Gary Krieg, on the film from Tribeca, really, he really wants to make Westerns. You, you you clearly enjoyed the experience, though. I mean, is this? It was fascinating. Do you, do you it was see yourself doing more of it? I mean, I know you yeah. said you didn't have film aspirations. Yeah, yeah, I could I could see doing more. I yeah. like the challenge. Um, for the most part, I would say, uh, pretty much everybody I've worked with, like whether it's the stuff for Paramount uh, or the stuff with Tribeca, everyone's been very professional, very intelligent. Uh, a lot of times, like you, you think, like with comic book stuff, like you sit around, like who's tougher, Spider Man or Wolverine, you know. There's plenty of that, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, this isn't the kind of... St- like, yeah. you, you might talk about film a little bit, but you don't really yeah. go off in a, about whatever. Oh, Tarkovsky is better than Kubrick, or like that sort of thing. There's, there's a fair amount of that. I, I think you just are not hanging out with the, the right people. Yeah, probably not. Those arguments clearly, aren't happening, yeah. Clearly. I mean, it's the di- it, it, when you really look at it, I know this, this analogy doesn't hold up much anymore because there aren't video stores, but the video store is very similar to the comic store, right? I mean, you've got, yeah, grumpy, you've got the clerk in there. and then Grumpy you've got, experts. Yeah, and people coming in to, to challenge them. I mean, it's kind of a pretty, it's a, it's pretty similar when it comes right down to I it. Would, I, would, yeah, I would say, I mean, for the most part, what's, what's interesting, like our, um, our uh, DP, our director of photography, Jesse Green, has shot m- many films. And, you know, he loves Richard, um, what's his name, um, Roger Deakins. So we, we do talk a little bit about... You know what kind of lens did Kubrick yeah. use for Barry Lyndon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, what's the best Coen Brothers film? It's like asking you what kind of brush you use. Yeah, it's so there, I mean, that's shop talk, I yeah. guess, in a way, right? But for the most part, because we were we had a limited budget, we were inevitably going to go over budget. We only had a month to make this thing. It's like a TV um, pilot schedule. Yeah. So for the most part, I mean, even though I was you know the the core team of like the seven of us were together like all day long, seventeen hour days, twenty hour days. For the most part, we're focused directly on the matter at hand. And yeah. There wasn't like, there were. I would say about two to five percent of the job is the kind of romance of Hollywood. Like when we were in Culver City, we stayed at this hotel that at one point had been um, owned. There was a like a speakeasy casino owned by John Wayne, which is still there, and now it's it's like a speakeasy, and they have like a sort of Django Reinhardt style gypsy jazz band and. That was like awesome, but the Culver City's not close enough to Nevada that they've actually the, still got the Sony lot. The Sony lot is yeah. in Culver City. Okay, so we stayed at the Culver Hotel, yeah. which is this kind of like wedge, flat iron style building. And um, Harrison Ford owns a restaurant out there, so we had dinner at his restaurant. You know, that was pretty awesome. But yeah, that was like you know ten hours of the month and a half of work. Yeah, the so. real Hollywood experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, as far as. As battling battling boys concerned, um, how having it optioned by uh, you know major film company, having a major actor involved, how that affects the process of, of be, it getting made? Like that early on, you know, it, does that impact the way that you you draw? Does that impact your work on it? Yeah, it was sort of distracting, like yeah. to, to say to, to put it mildly. But we we've all sort of made an agreement to wait. Until I'm at least 85% finished with the second Battling Boy book okay. before we even kind of try set, to start fooling is around. Is there a set number for you, or is this just an ongoing? Page-wise? Um, Book-wise. Um, well, the Battling Boy, the story I'm working on now is a, is a 400-something page wow. story over two books. So okay. book one is 208 pages. It's a satisfying you know, graphic novel yeah. read. And the but second book is a little bit longer. Or, it's concerned with the origin mostly. We, yeah, sort know. of like 
like where are we yeah. and, you know what are we doing and there was a big bit with um paramount where they were really having a problem with because like, like one of the things I, I was insisting on is that this is not earth this is a different earth yeah. like this parallel thing because it's like all these kind of arch- archetype characters there's a lot of different challenges you know like what the one you call indra we call hercules we call thor so i really wanted to do this kind of like joseph campbell kind of like paganistic Play approach yeah mythology and they had a they had a hard time understanding that because and I was like, well, really, like we've already seen Jerry Bruckheimer destroy the Chrysler Building and the Bay Bridge. And do we do we need to do it again? Yeah. Like, aren't there other cities we can destroy? <laughs> I mean, everyone's cool with Vulcan. Everyone understands, you know. So we had to find a kind of an elegant way to explain why it isn't this Earth, Earth, or yeah. how isn't this Earth? Hey everybody, sorry to break in. Just wanted to uh, use this opportunity to thank our sponsors, RIYL, once again. They've got that home try-on program, five pairs of glasses. You order them, they ship them directly to you. That's totally free. You try the frames on. uh, You get five days to do that. You mail them back to Warby Parker. It doesn't cost you a thing. And if you enter the the coupon code RIYL, you'll be able to get your glasses within three days. Sounds fantastic. In fact, I'm, I'm actually very seriously considering going, going to uh, an optometrist to see if I can justify getting a pair of glasses from Warby Parker. Uh, now back to the rest of our interview with Paul Pope. But these, these things that you're justifying to the studios, are those ultimately informing the book itself? We, um, I would, to a degree, yes, although there is not a lot of editorial interference on the film side or the uh, publishing side. It was great working with Alex C., the, the guy who was hired to write the film scripts. Like we went, he and I wrote nine drafts together, and um, he, I mean, he, he's the first writer wait, wait, credit. Wait, wait, so... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, so, there, okay, so the comic just comes out, but you've already been working on the film. Yeah, drafts? yeah. There, there's there there are two battling boy stories. Yeah. Like two battling boy um, veins, you might say. One is the, the the film, and one is the the graphic novel, or graphic novels. So what I did was I wrote a film treatment story treatment that was like a novella. It was long. I mean, this right there, that's like eight weeks, right? eight weeks of not working on the graphic novel I'm working on a story treatment for a graphic novel and for a film and so we made an agreement that the graphic novel and the film are both based on this document that I wrote and then Alex came to stay in New York for I don't want to say if he ever hears this he's probably going to correct me on this but it seemed like a, a, a large part of 2009 yeah and we worked really closely together, nuts and bolts, building a like I, like Battling Boy is not a three act structure like the Robert McKee sort of formula for how do you make a ninety minute movie. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it's something much more European, like a heavy metal comic book from the seventies or something. But he found a way to kind of boil the story structure into you know kind of the rise and the fall, and then the the return of the hero. Yeah, the sort of three act. You can break the movie down by you know by page thirty, and you're, you're reading the script, and there has to be a big change. And yeah. there's all these sort of what I consider to be slightly, you know, formulaic rules that do work in film, but they don't have to work in comics. You know, like uh, comics, you can take a lot more liberties. But um, I I learned a lot working with him, and so together we worked on 
a document which became not not I mean it's obviously not the shooting script for Battling Boy that has yet to come but we worked on a suitable script enough to get to the point where we can start showing it to directors and showing it to actors and you but, know. but you know, you're, you're you're describing these as as two, as you said, two separate documents. Um, but are, are the stories parallel ultimately? Yeah, it's the same story. I okay. think like there there was one point working with Alex where I was getting a little concerned because we were like there there are certain characters in Battling Boy that don't make it to the film, and I'm like, well, like the, like in, when people read Battling Boy, there's a character who's basically Daedalus who is the builder god. And it's, I thought it was really important that the war god, who's the father of Battling Boy, has another sibling. Or he has a... Like, Battling Boy is an uncle. He's like a family of gods, right? So he's, he's not a titan. He's a hero, right? So he has an uncle who's sort of this builder, poet god. And in the film script, that character has been written out. And I'm like, well, why... Well, like, I love this guy. Why do we have to take him out? I want this guy in. And it's like, uh, well, it's because... He, he doesn't return in the third act and do anything that's going to satisfy the audience. Yeah. In the, like, basically, the role that he has, the mom can have, because the mom, Battling Boy's mom and dad, two gods, a husband and wife, it's a you know, family unit. It's, inter- it's interesting it, making, because those, mer- yeah, those, those are certainly, you know, these, these, uh, this idea of merging characters, which I think anybody who's watched a movie based on, on a comic is used to. I mean, that, that happens, right? You know, when, when we're dealing with... Uh, uh, you know, characters and storylines that that are uh, you know have, have been developed over a thirty year period. Obviously, all that's not going to fit in a movie, but it's interesting that that merging is happening parallel to your writing the comic. And it, it, yeah, it is very interesting in a way. It's it's liberating because I know that the the source document is going to be the book, and the film. If if the film happens, it has its own life, and. What we're doing is translating. Like, if you think about yeah. Iron Man or Batman, yeah. like, like we know the history of, like, the era of Jim Apparel Batman or Frank Miller's Batman or the original Bob Kane. Sure. And w- what they do for film is they're sort of boiling it down into something which is going to basically be an entertainment vehicle, hopefully of quality, mm-hmm. but it's separate and um, distinct from the source. Yeah. And um, that's one reason I actually like the... Uh, the uh, Jackson Lord of the Rings books because they're fairly, you know, um, uh, faithful. Yeah. Without without sort of like being like boring or d- dragging or whatever. Yeah, but but the only way to do that is to do three thirty uh, three three hour films, right? I, mean, I, I yeah, I agree. Yeah, to, yeah. to that specific. Uh, so. I actually want to ask you because you know since since um, since first second has been uh, involved since the beginning, I know that that they've sort of branched out and now they're doing um, uh, books for older audiences. But obviously, they're well known for doing. Oh, they've always done. They've always yeah. done sort of adult stuff from the. But beginning. they've always been. I, I guess they've always been well known for their kid stuff, right? I mean, that's yeah. I, I would the, say the so. Yeah, potatoes, I right? would say so. So, so you, yeah, knew, Isaac the Pirate was yeah. one of their early books, and yeah. they, you know they've done some really nice stuff. So, but 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 you knew all along that this was going to be an all ages comic storyline when i sat down with my editor mark siegel and he sort of said you know do you want to work together i didn't know this guy was i had no idea but i i did know that i wanted to do a comic that was either somewhere between being all ages or being aimed directly for kids because you know while i was wrapping up batman i was thinking like you know what's next and you know it's in 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 the case of working for marvel or dc it's like there are a certain number of characters that 
were sort of okayed for me. Like for Marvel, I can work on the Fantastic Four. I can work on Spider Man. I can work on the Hulk. What is it, what is okay for you mean? Like kind of editorially approved. Like okay, this guy's art style, his, his sensibilities, yeah. his writing style is going to work for the Hulk. Um, and then with uh, DC, it was, you know, there were a few intriguing ones. Whether it was uh, Jack Kirby's The Demon, yeah, or you know, I did an OMAC adaptation. Uh, of course, Batman stuff, and I just thought, like, why? I really want to do something new that has because at the time I was reading a lot of Silver Age, you know, Jack Kirby and yeah. the, you know Bruno Premiani and Robert Kaniger, all these like, like these comics that are kind of serious, but also they're very innocent. Like there's still these kind of stories about good and evil and Commandy sort of Commandy yeah. yeah I loved I mean Commandy was fantastic yeah. you know and that yeah that was, so I was like you know what I would really love to do something that has first of all has animals in it because I feel like that's one super underutilized thing in comic books is yeah. like a comic with like uh, Crypto the Super Dog or Lassie or you know like we should have like dog characters I mean they're they're cool yeah. Yeah, and no uh, Grant Morrison's them. done some good animal stuff. Oh, he's one of the few. Oh, man, that's yeah. a fantastic, fantastic. Or Animal Man. And animal yeah. Man, yeah. So I had I was, this was all percolating, and I was I was thinking it would be really awesome to do something that felt like Peter Pan, but was like a little edgier. Where it actually, because I like I love Peter Pan; it's one of my favorite animated films. But it annoys annoys me to no end that he doesn't kill Captain Hook. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he can't happen because it's a Disney sure. G, G-rated sure. film, but but sort of, but like a like a Captain Marvel character. I mean, that seems to be kind of that wheelhouse, right? That yeah, I th- well, it's, like I didn't, didn't want to do kid with I didn't like want to do power. wheelhouse. I didn't I didn't yeah. want to I don't want to do a rehash of another. Yeah. I mean, I love these characters. I love Batman, Superman, all these, but I, I didn't want to do another one of those. But it, but but I guess I'm bringing up Captain Marvel in the sense that when, when I'm thinking of Battling Boy or when I'm thinking of Peter Pan, it's this idea. Of, of this kid, it's the kid. I mean, it's the kid who has yeah. the power, yeah. right? It's yeah. the kid who's doing battle with evil. I mean, since then, I mean, that, but think about that stuff. Like Captain Marvel, man, that's that character's almost a hundred years old yeah. now. Yeah. Also, I mean, the, the, and and the one it, it doesn't it doesn't bring in the the strange alchemy that manga brings in. What, what does that or, mean? Or or anime? Like I I feel like there's been so much in the last. Well, if you even go back to Go Nagai, like some of the the stuff from the '70s manga. Like that stuff is still super fresh. Like Devilman, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of that giant robot stuff. It's like I, I feel like that that is only now starting to seep into American American comics. Yeah. And you know, I want something that feels a little fresher, I guess, than just you know Shazam. It's, you know, we've seen yeah. that already. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you you know, you've proven in the past so that you you're, you're able to work with these established characters and bring something new to them. Yeah, it's true. Although in my case, like right before Battling Boy, right before I met Mark Siegel, I knew I wanted to do something with a kid, something in a set in a fantastic, super far out fantasy yeah. setting, because the last three books I had done before that, Heavy Liquid, one hundred percent, both for Vertigo, mm-hmm. and then Batman for um, DC DC Universe, yeah. they're all sort of set in like New York, like they're all kind of like real worlds in like a car looks like a you know yeah. like a buick or a Datsun or whatever yeah. gotham gotham basically being gotham, yeah. yeah and i just was like you know what i would really love to draw some crazy crazy like you know floating asteroid spaceships and giant yeah. monsters and 
you know, like if I wanted, like these people have chairs, like, well, why not? They, they should be like giant bean bags. Like, what, you know, could, it, it, you see what I mean? It, it's just, yeah, because this, this is something, I, who was I talking to? I think, I think, I feel like it might have been Jaime Hernandez who brought this up, who, you know, and this is, this is something, as, as somebody who doesn't draw comics, who reads and writes about comics, wasn't something that had occurred to me, but, you know, he, he basically said, when you're setting out to do a comic, you want to do something that you're going to be able to draw for that you're going to still enjoy drawing for 200 pages and that yeah, seems like yeah. that's what's yeah. that's supporting you right yeah. yes. is when you can when the world itself is elastic enough you essentially get to draw whatever you want to draw mm-hmm. that's I, that's that's true and I mean I've you know like top respect for him I feel like in, in my new little workspace I've got a just it's a room no Wi-Fi. You know, if my girlfriend wants to text me, she can text me, but I don't have any internet or anything Purposely in there. Purposely no, no distractions. Yeah, because I, actually, ever since working on the film stuff, um, I've, I've started to have to deal with carpal tunnel issues, and so I've had to get really, because I don't want to do invasive surgery, I've yeah. gotten real holistic about it, and, you know, I thought I'm like the most sort of mystical guy, but it's like, you know, I think there's a better way to deal with sure. this than just, you know, sticking needles in your yeah. wrist yeah. and stuff. So, it... I have like two or maybe three hundred books, which are like the Battling Boy reference library. So it's everything from Disney to Mobius to Hernandez Brothers to, um, you know, um, Andrew Wyeth. You know, like just a number of things. Joseph Campbell is on the shelf yeah. there. You know, after we've been talking about about the the film a bit, and obviously we know. We know the state of the comic; it's coming out, or uh, by the time people hear this, will we'll have come out. Um, what what's the status of the movie? Um, it's it's on hiatus right now because I think it, it's it, it's in, basically impossible to do both jobs at the same time. They're they're both extremely demanding and extremely different. It's to, hard to, to keep making the comic and to make the movie. Well, I, I'm t- like for the film, I'm technically involved as as consultant, and I have some sort of a producer credit. But you know, I, I get called to do things like design costumes or do key concept art and this type of thing. But that has to be secondary to the book because the book is the source and so everyone's kind of agreed it's like you know what like I think eventually this film will happen but it's not a film first it's a, a fantasy story with a kid a kick-ass kid superhero character but, but, but the, it lives as a graphic novel but, but the, the movie is waiting on your availability well, it's no. It's right now. It's it, it, it. The option ran out, and we all kind of agree, like we have sort of a gentleman's agreement. Like, I'm not going to go ship this off somewhere else. Like, we're just going to wait and see. Like, let's just wait till we got some sales figures because you know if we're going to get a big budget. We have to like be able to prove we have an audience for it. Yeah. You know, even even really good books like uh, Philip Pullman's uh, Golden Compass series. You know, you can you can get a film made from these things if you put enough time and effort into it, but. It, like I don't, I don't want this to be sort of a pyrrhic victory where it's like you're going to be another guy who has a, a movie adapted, but then for the rest of your life it's like oh there goes that guy who yeah. almost made it, you know. So I'd rather focus on the comic or the graphic novel, and then of course you know the truth is even someone like Yodorowsky and you know and then with Mobius they, they still couldn't get Dune made. So the, the, those are life lessons right there, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and do what I know what I'm good at, which is the graphic novel. I, I look at that, that Dune, you know, I, obviously, in, and especially in recent years, a lot of the information has come out about that, and there's the Salvador Dali, you know, involvement. And you look at that, and, and, and you realize that, that that's 
that's almost too perfect of a thing, right? That's not a thing that could exist in the world. And I'm wondering, like, you know, do do you think a really pure, great movie that's pretty in line with your vision can be made by by Paramount on a big budget? Well, and I know, I know Stephen King wasn't happy with The Shining. You know, it's it's different from his book, despite the fact that he had Kubrick. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. You know, I mean, it was in a lot of ways a perfect film. But same, you know, actually with Nicholson, I, I mean, uh, same with uh, Cuckoo's Nest. Kesey hated Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, really? that's a great film. I'm surprised. Yeah. He, I'm so surprised. is The Shining. I mean, those yeah. are two really fantastic films, and the, the I th- creator I th- didn't like them because it wasn't in line with the vision. I, I guess when it comes to the film stuff, like Cavalier and Clay was my first lap around the 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 track. The second was actually shooting, writing and shooting something and working with the crew and working on deadline and on budget and blah, blah. And then the, the third lap has been Battling Boy. And now I'm kind of at a point where um, I, I realize they're going to be different. If, if, if it happens at all, it's going to be different. But the best way to make sure that it's going to be done well is for me to do the best graphic novel I can do. And so I've kind of gone back to like the nuts and bolts. Like, you know what I mean? I've gone back to the homestead. Yeah. The yeah. comics homestead. So, so the, the gap between the first and second isn't going to be as long as no, the time it takes to make the first. It can't because that that was depressing and embarrassing and also um, once financially you, disastrous. And once you've too. got the first one out there, that's it. Like you said, no, you've it's, set too, the it's too late. It's it's like yeah. it, it. I mean, it's it's funny. Um, like Battling Boy is like its own thing now, and it's it's cool to see that because I I know that. If I think of um, friends of mine in, in the biz, like, um, you know, if you look at something like Sin City or Hellboy or Iron Man, or at least, like, th- th- you can actually do that, which is one of the awesome things about comics. Like, you can really create a new story and a new character that people somehow emotionally identify with or they, it resonates with them. And I, I love that because, like, I tell my editor, Mark Siegel, like, we're about to go on a multi-city tour. To, and it's, it's like, you know, meeting, like, hundreds of fifth graders and like going to like school libraries and like this is stuff that I, I never thought I would even be involved with I'm a little afraid to do it actually but it, it helps to think it's like you're you're the vehicle making it rather than it's like you're you know Lord Fauntleroy the king shit you know this kind of thing it's yeah. you're so, the vehicle I like yeah, that you know and I mean you don't you don't have kids but and in the, in the lead up like in the past couple of, of months there was that that whole Quote from an interview with you with the 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 I think the DC editor, um, and I'm wondering what the what the impetus to to write a book for kids was. The the impetus? Yeah. I I, I, t- I tend to be kind of creatively reactionary, you know, and I I look at like like what's the temperature, what's the um, like where, where's the tide going, you know, and I tend to I tend to think like well what isn't being done. And I just think, I, d- I don't see enough good comics for kids. There are comics for kids. I don't see enough of them. No, That's one reason Adventure yeah. Time is so big is because yeah. there's nothing like it. There, and there's not, and, and, and comics for kids are in, they're not, those, they're not those adventure comics anymore, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's... No, but that's just, that, the, the yeah. thing that's so amazing to think about is, you know, like going back and rediscovering the Silver Age stuff, whether it's Doom Patrol or early... Fantastic Four. Yeah, those are still interesting and kind of um, rich reads, even though 
they're they're limited and kind of corny in some ways. All the all the all the Kirby Lee stuff. I mean, all the you know early X Men, Spider Man stuff. I mean, it's made for kids and adolescents. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. obviously, there's something a lot more powerful there. Well, same with um, if we look at uh, you know Dune, I would say is a it's a profound book. But I mean, I read it for the first time when I was 13, and I yeah. I understood it. I don't think I saw as much into it as I saw later. Same with Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Like you might in the early days, it's like you're just kind of interested in Gandalf's his wizard and these little guys going on an adventure. Yeah. But as you get older, you see more into it. So I, I like that challenge of writing that sort of a, like if you think of all ages, like literally, this is a story that could appeal to children or could appeal to adults on different levels. Yeah, and so. be, I mean, you know, and 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 that's 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 a huge complaint I've had about most of the recent superhero movies. I think Marvel's done a little bit better of a job, but. This has been my big complaint about the Batman movies, right? Is that yeah, they're, they're, not, they're dark. They're, they're yeah, they're, they're not for they're, kids. They're right? dour. They're they're yeah, they're, they're they're not they're not very sexy or um, um, in, intriguing in, to me. You know, it's funny, yeah. especially it's funny. Like, you know, I watched, uh, I tried to watch the third Batman film on an airplane, and I, you know, for free. I couldn't even get through it. It's yeah. like, gosh, this just this is just not made for me. But then again, I'm the kind of guy who loves Jodorowsky's Holy Mountain or Tarkovsky's well, Andre Rublev. There were enough naked people pouring paint on each other. But no, but 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 if I had a criticism with, I didn't actually even watch the first one. But if I had a criticism, particularly with the second one, it was that as good as the performances yeah, were, performances and, were great, and, and as interesting definitely. as I thought the storyline was, that you could have easily have swapped out Batman. There was no reason for Batman for to be James in James Bond or for anybody like just for a, just for kind of a generic action movie, right? Yeah, I yeah, I I I agree. I hate to say this cuz I actually liked Inception. I like Chris Nolan's work. I like Inception a lot. Yeah, but 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 he was stylish. It was sexy and there yeah. there the, the the women had more to do and the, the yeah. they did that kind of Fred Astaire thing with the elevator battle and it, like that was yeah. like interesting. But there was and you could no actually tell what was going on. And, and but just from a from a like a, a comics reader standpoint, there was no reason Batman had to be in that movie. You know what I mean? Like, y- y- yeah, or the Joker yeah. or any of these characters. These really iconic characters were almost secondary yeah. to that action movie. I, I think in a way that's like if if you think of character as a cipher, it, it's more interesting to me to write about adolescence because they're they're at a point of the life where the experience is first time around and genuine and so the reactions are going to be unschooled and I think that that makes for sort of an inter- a more interesting um, a more interesting how do you say this like a, a, a more interesting type of story yeah well ba- yeah battling boy you know I you know you've, you, you've got this kid who's this kid superhero this kid imbued with um his the, the superpowers. His, his superpowers potential. Yeah, he, he doesn't know what he can do. He messes up. He messes up a lot. That's right? the whole point of the book. I want, who calls I, his dad? Who calls his dad to first, fight his first fight thing, for him? First thing he does great. is call dad. I don't think I've ever seen a superhero do that before. <laughs> well, yeah. he's, he's kind of based on like a combination of myself and my my older nephew, and um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with that kid when he was around eleven and twelve, and that's exactly. What, I mean, he was a cool kid, you know. Yeah. Took karate and played baseball. He's a pretty athletic kid, but he was kind of clumsy too. You know what I mean? So it's like he wasn't like the the best, you know, baseball player. He loved baseball, but he wasn't that good at it in a way. You know, so I, I felt a real uh, empathy 
for that, you know. And so, and and I do like and and not to get back to you know as you said, Captain Marvel is a little bit been done to death, but but I do like the idea of Spider Man is also a good example. If you really if you go back yeah. and look at Spider Man, um, you know really really like the origin story and the really early. Uh, uh, you know the, the the really early Lee comics. It's um, it's a character who doesn't know what his powers are, and that's yeah. And he's a nerd, and he gets beat up in sc- like the but alter I mean, even, ego but, thing. But even once he gets his powers, he he doesn't know what they are specifically, right? And, yeah. and this is yeah. th- this is battling boy. He's figuring yeah. out his powers as he yeah. goes along. Yeah. So he doesn't know if he can even fight those fights. There's another interesting thing. Like uh, with, this isn't a spoiler, but there's another interesting element that develops as the series develops. Where the the other character, the other kid superhero in Battling Boys, uh, this girl Aurora West, whose dad was sort of like an yeah, Iron yeah. Man character, she actually knows science and knows how to build things and take things apart, put them back together, and she's been trained in like martial arts. And Battling Boy just takes it all for granted because he comes from a technologically advanced race. Yeah, I mean, whether the gods are just superheroes, we never really know. And that's the whole point of it. It's like it's like it's like it's sort of like Superman versus Batman, right? Yeah, it is, and it's something Larry Martyr said, like uh, the, the great cartoonist and uh, Bean World. Bean World, yeah, like uh, like one of the thinkers of comics. Like he made an interesting point. He's it's the sun and the moon, you know, because like one represents the power of daytime, one represents the power of nighttime. All the aspects of like the brightness versus the aspects of darkness. And um, I, I think there is kind of a parallel with these two kid superheroes because, like, one's an orphan, Aurora is an orphan, and Battling Boy is a latchkey kid whose parents are basically neglectful or distracted and can't. But he's like he's them. a he's a latchkey kid in Mount Olympus, right? Yeah, he's a latchkey kid from Mount Olympus. <laughs> Who you know, no one gave him the playbook. He doesn't know what to do. Whereas she knows the playbook, but doesn't know how to like apply it. So they literally just threw him into that world. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like here, Simba. Here's a suitcase. Here's a refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. Go save the world. Yeah, here's your credit card. Get out of here. And I, I, I like that because it's sort of like a, um, it, it kind of takes that very familiar Batman Superman, you know, parallel, and hopefully does it in a way where it's like, when, when, you know, it's like I, I hate, I hate in the superhero movies when like, it's just kind of given that like Iron Man is like a genius with all these great weapons and he knows martial arts and like I like that the kids don't know what they're doing which is like how it felt when you're like 11, 12 like oh that guy's gonna beat me up if I walk home and maybe if I put this lucky penny in my pocket and I walk around the other way I'll be fine and that's kind of what kids because they're not fully conscious yet you know that's what comics lose after the origin story right that's what they lose I think all all great comics are origin stories Yeah, I think so if you think about it I mean we could do endless I mean you know Batman year 100 is my best attempt at making a really good Batman book, but it's still the meeting of Jim Gordon and Batman. It just kind of tries to do it with different spices, you know what I mean? Hope, uh, hope you enjoy that interview with Paul Pope. Um, I have to say that was actually part of a very long conversation every time uh, every time I sit down with Paul, it ends up being um, several, several hours. Uh, that was at a place called El Quijote, which is a very cool old restaurant uh, here in, in New York City, uh, Manhattan. It's part of the Chelsea Hotel. Uh, it's like kind of a, one of the last pieces of lingering weirdness left in New York City right now. So 
definitely check that out if you have a chance and, and absolutely check out Paul's new book Battling Boys so really really fantastic and uh, very rare to see just a really um, great kid superhero book in comics I mean, that sounds strange for people who aren't uh, super up on the comic scene right now but uh, just uh, ain't what they used to be with all those with those uh, those hard-boiled gritty superhero books uh, Paul's doing a really fantastic thing over on for a second uh, got book two should be coming out in the not too distant future um, and all of Paul's work is worth checking out so thanks so much to Paul for taking the time to do that thanks to uh, everybody for a second for setting that up uh, thanks as always to Brian for uh, editing down what was probably a tremendously long uh, conversation thanks to uh, thanks to Mark and everybody else at Boing Boing for hosting this thing um, thanks to Warby Parker for sponsoring this thing thank you the listener for listening to this thing um send us an email if you have any feedback it's riylcast at gmail.com please follow us on twitter riylcast oh excuse me tumblr social networks i'm confused uh follow us on tumblr it's uh riylcast.tumblr.com uh, itunes very helpful go over to itunes you, you rate us it, it, it gives us um that's that's how we that's how we fuel our sense of of self um lots of great interviews coming up on the show have a, have a pretty nice backlog uh, worked up right now excited for you guys to hear all these um got uh will call Hart of the olivia tremor control and circulatory systems gonna be coming up um spoke to a gentleman from a really cool wrestling zine taught me a little bit about wrestling not not actually because we were in the middle of the hobby shop that would have been that would have been weird um rjd2 uh Got just a law, uh, Peter Bag, long list of really cool people coming up. So uh, thanks so much for listening, and uh, stay tuned next week. Got another episode of R O I L coming at you.